Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Hello, everybody. Thurl Bailey here. Welcome to Thurl Talk. We have uh, an amazing guest today, a guy who that I've uh, I've gotten to know over the years. Played in the NBA. Right now, though, he's a Hall of Fame speaker, educator, success coach. Uh, born in Chicago, Illinois. Played basketball, college basketball, University of Minnesota. Made it to the NBA. We're going to hear that story, too. Dallas, Dallas Mavericks, Utah Jazz, and the Detroit Pistons. He's an author as well. He's got a book out called Swim, How a Shark, a Sucker Fish, and a Parasite Can Teach You Leadership, Mentoring, and Next Level Success. It's a great read, too. To find out more about him, go to WalterBond.com. Walter Bond, welcome to the show, my man. Thanks, Dale. Thanks. Man, I expected to hear some jazz music or some <laughs> singing, but you know, your your voice has a, a a melody to it in itself. So well, it's my honor to be here. I appreciate it. Appreciate it, Walter. And you and I have, you know, we we were kind of different eras as far as basketball goes. I'm I'm a little bit okay. I'm a lot older than you. Um, maybe miles wise, although you're putting a lot of miles on right now, speaking uh, around the world. But um, I, I really first got to know you in the business you're in now. I remember when you first started out. Uh, I think your career was just coming to an end, and you were, uh, you know, trying to figure out what you wanted to do and what direction you wanted to go in. But Hey, this show is really about the journey, and that's what I want to get into with you. Uh, we're going to talk about the impact that you're making on millions of people on the second half of this show. But let's start with Walter Bond's journey. Born in Chicago, Illinois, take me back a little bit and and, and how that was growing up, and tell me about your family and and uh, and how many times you used to get whoopings a month. Because I know you got some whoopings. <laughs> Absolutely, but you're going right there. You know, I'm a Chicago kid, but not in the stereotypical sense that you hear about. You know, you hear a lot about the NBA and guys came from poverty and single mom situation, and that wasn't my story. You know, my parents were educators. Uh, My dad was a high school principal. In fact, he was my high school principal. My mom taught kindergarten. You know, they both had college degrees and master degrees and you know i grew up in a home that you were a student athlete 
you know, with the emphasis on being a student first. Now, I had an uncle who I was named after, played Major League Baseball. His name was Walt Barnes. I six foot seven, spent some time in Salt Lake um, in the minor leagues, but he eventually made it to the uh, majors, played for the Cleveland Indians, Minnesota Twins, um, Houston Astros, and he ended up dying of leukemia in 1967. So my dad named me after his brother. Uh, my big sister, I don't know if you know this, played at USC. I didn't. She was team Cheryl Miller. Yes, yeah, she played all four years with Cheryl Miller. Uh, she was a backup center to uh, Pam and Paula McGee. And that's my big sister, and she's in L.A. right now. She's a superintendent of Compton Schools, and my dad's in the Hall of Fame with his college. But they're Southern, right? My dad was from Tennessee. My mom was from Kentucky. So even though I was a Chicago City kid, my mom and dad were country folks. And you're right. We got spanked. (laughs) When you got in trouble, my dad would pull that belt out. It didn't happen a whole lot, but it happened enough. I grew up in a home where I had a father who was a man's man. And I had my mom who was a homemaker, you know, you almost grew up in that, you know, kind of traditional family. And, um, but education was first and then sports came, even though we had pro athletes in the family, my, my parents were sticklers for education. And my first high school thorough, I flunked out of, it was a top academic school. Um, we've all heard of it. It's it's called Whitney Young. Mm -hmm. And that's where Michelle Obama went to high school. Um, Jesse Jackson kids went there. It attracted the top kids in Chicago. And at that time, I just wanted to play pro ball. You know, my brother and sister were good student athletes. To me, I'm just an athlete. I'm the youngest. I'm the best athlete in the family. And all I cared about was what sport am I going to play. Obviously, I was really from a baseball family because of my uncle. But being a Chicago kid, everybody plays basketball. And I'm kind of thick, so I was a good football player. (laughs) And if I saw Muhammad Ali fight, I'm going to be a heavyweight champ. So I was that kid. But my father always taught me that this family produces student-athletes. This family produces student-athletes. And so when I failed the first time, I was embarrassed, girl. And at that moment, that's when I began to understand that even though I'm a good athlete, I got to get educated, right? I got to graduate from college because that's just the family culture I came from. And so that's a little bit of the background of how I grew up. Uh, When the streetlights came on, (laughs) I'm running home, so I'm going to get a spanking. Yeah, (laughs) I know the feeling. Yeah, that's kind of how I grew up there. So so what was it about your parents' past, or, or talk to me a little bit about your parents' that made education so important because obviously they had to go through their lives and, and wanted you to have the best opportunity. Um, Tell me a little bit about them and in particular, maybe some of the struggles they had coming up to get to the place where, you know, they, they made, they had to make a good life for you and your sister. Well, you know, if you think about it, you know, I'm a child of the 60s. Mm-hmm. And in that era, you know, you're talking about civil rights. And, you know, with my parents coming from the South, your only shot to really change your life was education. And my parents were poor. They grew up sharecroppers, right? My dad told me he, he had one pair of pants his whole high school life, his one pair of pants. So they saw what happened for them through academics. You know, by them being able to get to college, my dad went to a small college in his town called Lane College 
It's the HBCU, and if it wasn't for Lane, none of his brothers and sisters would have ever gotten to college because they couldn't really afford it, right? So I know my parents, you know, my, my grandmother had my mother when she was only 16. Right. And, you know, so my, my parents were examples of what education can do, especially for African-Americans back in the 50s and the 60s. And so back then, you know, education was your only way out. And if you got lucky enough to play pro sport, that was great. But even back then, nobody was making enough money to live the rest of your life. So it was like, even if you do play pro ball, you still got to have an education. And what you going to do after your career is over, right? So right. that was constantly preached. It was constantly reinforced. And for me, coming from a successful sports family and being the youngest, my parents believed that. It wasn't just lip service. No, they believed that education was most important. And although I was a very good athlete young, that's all I heard, Thurl. Every day it was like I was brainwashed into man, you gotta get your you gotta get your schoolwork, man. And my old man was like, Look, college is four years. You know, I don't believe in this five year stuff. You go to college and you graduate in four years. So basically those are the core values that were constantly preached, constantly reinforced. And so when I smoked out of my first high school, Thurl, I was like, Oh and it was a tough school. Now it was these are the smartest kids in Chicago, but I didn't compete academically at that point right. because I just wasn't—I wasn't ready to compete academically. But after that failure, and I teach people, Daryl, adversity will increase your value if you let it. And once I failed, and I had never failed in my life up until that point, I knew it was time for me to tighten up. And from that moment on, honestly, I began to attack academics, and I began to compete in the classroom. And my father played a huge role in helping me understand. He would always say to me, Thurl, you're just as smart as my other two kids, but your value system is screwed up. Wow. And so he would always build my confidence. He would be honest and real with me, but he would set expectations. This family produces student athletes. Well, Walter, you talked about um, how you were a really good athlete young, but I mean, you obviously were able to take that to college, right? And, 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 uh, play at university of Minnesota, but you still had dreams like any other kid that, that played basketball. You wanted to make it to the NBA. Um, even with knowing education was important, you still had goals and dreams to be a pro athlete. So talk to me about that process. And I mean, nobody's knocking down your door you know, after college. So talk to me about that process you went through um, about still trying to attain that goal through the adversity that you went through as well. Well, you know, again, adversity will increase your value if you let it. You know, what, what, there's a bunch of lessons that I learned. And I mentioned earlier that, you know, baseball was very important to me. So even in high school, I mean, I played every sport, right? And so I became a jack of all trades, but, but a master of none. In fact, I chose Minnesota because they had a really good baseball team. Hmm. And when the basketball season ended, I was going to play baseball even in college. And so one of my assistant coaches, a guy named Al Brown, he sat me down uh, after a baseball game. And he says, Walter, you got a dilemma. I said, what do you mean? He was like, you're a really good baseball player. <laughs> and I was like, thanks, coach. And he said, you know, obviously you're in the basketball scholarship in the Big Ten. You're a really good basketball player. But then he asked me a question, Thurl. 
He says, but do you want to be a pro? Hmm. And I was like, yeah, coach. He says, if you want to be a pro, you got to choose one. And, man, I felt like Abraham having to put his son on the altar. Man. And, <laughs> it, <laughs> you know, I mean, my uncle, you know, his picture, you know, hangs over our fireplace in the house where I grew up. It's still there to this day. And he died of leukemia at 29 in the major league. So he was like a, a icon for me looking up to him. And we were a baseball family. So long story short, Thurl, I didn't start in college. We had a really good team. And part of the reason I never cracked the starting lineup in college is because I never, ever focused on basketball full-time my whole life. <laughs> you know, I was a Division One basketball player, even though I was a part-time basketball player, if you really think about it. But the moment I got focused on basketball, it was like I was in the NBA two years later. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of lessons in there that at some point you got to be decisive. You know, and, I, and if, you, if you study any successful person, in fact, the number one quality of a millionaire is being decisive. And my coach had to help me, and, and it made so much sense. He was like, look, do you want to be a really good basketball player and a good baseball player, or do you want to be a pro? And I spoke to my spirit, girl, and I was like, coach, I want to be a pro. He was like, you got to choose a sport. You could probably, you know, make it in both, honestly, but you got to choose one. In that moment, I had to grow up. And I got decisive, and I walked away from baseball and totally sold out to basketball. And, like, within two or three years, I was starting for the Dallas Mavericks. And, you know, I I didn't realize that by me not being decisive, by me having this, this double focus, if you will, I was hurting me. So right now in business, when I hear and I meet a person at a networking event and they hand me two different business cards, I'm like, come on, man. You need to decide. Right. There's no way that you are killing the game in both of these businesses. There's no way. Right. You know, and even when my career ended, you know, after eight years of pro basketball, when I got into my next career, I was doing a bunch of different things. And my wife grabbed me, and she was like, honey, honey, I I, I appreciate your hustle, but I can't help you do five things. Right. Just choose one thing, and I'll help you. And Thurl, it was like, I, I was facing the same dilemma a second time. And I was like, you're right. You're right. I, I want to be a motivational speaker. And she was like, you sure? Yeah, I want to be a motivational speaker. Thurl, three years later, <laughs> I was making more money as a speaker than I made playing in the NBA. And now I'm in a Hall of Fame for speakers. And it, it, it is obvious to me that one of the biggest things that challenges professionals is just focus. Right. You know, Bruce Lee said it this way. An average person with laser-like focus becomes a ninja warrior. <laughs> wow. Just an just average person with laser-like focus can become a ninja warrior. And I have seen it happen in my own life twice. And so that's, what, that's the kind of message I give to my audience and all of my coaching clients to say, hey, man, we got to get laser-like focus. And they look at me like, yeah, but we want to do this and we want to do that. I'm like, look, dude, I've learned this lesson twice. And I've become the best in the world in two different industries. <laughs> Listen to me. I'm trying to help you. <laughs> I get it. But you got to get focused. And when I tell them my personal story, I'm typically able to influence them and say, you know what? You're right. You're right. We got to get focused on one clear idea 
and go deep on it. Right. And that's how you become a pro. That's powerful stuff. And when we come back, Walter, I want to get into focus, laser focus and accountability. And I'm a big uh, National Geographic fan, and I love Shark Week. But you have a whole different take on being a shark. And we'll come back with Walter Bond in just a minute. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to Thorough Talk. We've got Hall of Fame speaker, educator, and success coach, and author, Walter Bond on. And Walter, uh, you just talked about laser focus before we went to commercial break, um, about focusing on that that one thing and, and how you had to do it a couple of times. But obviously you found it, and you found your niche. I want to get into your book about SWIM. Now I talked to you about I told you about how I'm a pretty good uh I'm a pretty big fan of National Geographic and I love Shark Week. And at some point in my life I asked the question, what are those little things swimming around on the backs of sharks? Right? And I obviously had to look it up. But you've taken this to a whole new level, man, and I love the way that you present this. Um so talk about one, how you created this idea of what a shark represents and how it relates to the folks that you impact. Well, here's the truth. Here's the truth. Here, here's the truth. Here's the truth. You know, when you've been able to be successful at a high level, when you really look back on it, you know, we all had incredible mentors. You know, we all had incredible coaches. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you can go back to your childhood and and remember your first basketball coach, right? Or your high school coach or your AAU coach, you know, or your, even your college coach. You played for legend, right? And so along my journey, I had incredible support. You know, my first incredible support were my parents. I, could, I couldn't have had better parents, you know, that were just grounded down to earth and created an environment where I could reach my potential. But I had great teachers, right? I, I can give you a whole list, Earl, of people who've had impact on my life. My college basketball coach, Clem Haskins, amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Jerry Sloan, amazing, right? Amazing. So, so I was fishing one day, and my father said, son, just always pay attention. Just always pay attention. And so I made it to the NBA because I had, I had certain skill sets. You know, I, I could, I'm like a Swiss Army knight. I had the ability to become what my team needed to win. And that was just like a gift for me. So what it, I made the Utah Jazz because on my way into Salt Lake, I picked up a paper, and Jerry Sloan says, this season we need to improve our three-point shooting. My rookie year in Dallas only made seven threes the whole season. That's a good game for Steph Curry. Right? <laughs> and I knew the only way I'm going to make the Utah Jazz is i got to knock down the three. That's the only way I'm going to make the team. And you know what? In that preseason, I showed Jerry Sloan 
that I can fit into the offense, play the Utah Jazz way, and if you leave me open, I can stick it, right? That's how I made the team, right? So I went fishing one day, and my dad says, I always just pay attention, son. And, man, I caught a sucker fish, and I brought the sucker fish up. It's the weakest, ugliest fish you've ever seen. And so I asked the captain, I said, man, what kind of fish is that? He goes, it's a sucker fish. And he takes the fish barrel and sticks it on top of the boat. It's called a sucker fish because it has suctions on the top of his head. And that's how they survive. And he taught me, the captain, said, hey, man, the sucker fish is flailing in the ocean waiting for a shark to come by. And when a shark comes by, it uses its only resource to connect to the shark. Mm-hmm. And if it can connect to the shark, the shark and the sucker fish works in tandem. That shark would take that sucker fish on free rides in the ocean, and every time a shark makes a kid, the sucker fish gets to eat the scraps. But the sucker fish has a job to do. The sucker fish protects the shark from, from parasites. Man, I got home, Earl. I started researching sharks and sucker fish and the whole relationship. <laughs> and then I told my wife, I said, we ought to write a book about this because this is the metaphor for coaching. This is the metaphor for mentorship. I mean, you think about your parent. Your kids are sucker fish and you are the shark. And it's the children's job to buy into the core values of the parent, to obey the parent, right? Yep. <laughs> to be disciplined in the way that the parents have kind of established the home, right? But then when I got to college, my college basketball coach became my second shark. It was my job to connect to him, right? And then so forth and so forth. But here's the crazy part. I spoke in front of 3,000 realtors. And I'm keynoting, and I'm talking about the shark and the sucker fish and how I had amazing support in my life and all my coaches. And backstage was a guy named Mark Victor Hansen, who wrote Chicken Soup for Your Soul yep. with Jack Canfield. As soon as I came backstage, um, Thurl, he grabbed me, and he says, Walter, you are so talented. I can listen to you all day. But he said, man, that shark and the sucker fish, you got to write a book, man. You know, that's like you got to write that book, and it's got to be a parable. It was a five-minute conversation, sir. He's like, you got to write the book, and it's got to be a parable. When Mark Victor Hansen tells you you got to write a book, and it's got to be a parable, and he says, man, this is like who moved my cheese good. That's like Michael Jordan grabbing a high school kid and saying, man, you got it. Exactly. This is Mark Victor Hansen, one of the most prolific authors of all time, and that's what I said to him. I said, Mark Victor Hansen, you just met a 6'5", 280-pound sucker fish. (laughs) Will you coach and mentor me? Because at that moment, think about it, Daryl. I'm a former NBA ball player. I'm a Hall of Fame speaker. But I had not achieved greatness as an author. And so I was humble enough to say, Mark, will you mentor me and coach me? I mean, you're Mark Victor Hansen. And he says, absolutely. And so he says, write a parable. So when people ask me, man, you know, why did you write your business book as a parable? You know what my answer is? Mark Victor Hansen told me to. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't have to overthink it, right? I was like, okay. It it was a no-brainer to do a parable because of my mentor. And so now I'm a best-selling author. It's the crazy part. So the, the whole experience was organic. I went fishing one day. I wasn't thinking about a book. I already written two other books, right? But I caught the sucker fish, and the captain says a sucker fish is waiting for a shark to come by. So think about all the talented people in this world that are kind of lost right now. 
go get a mentor. <laughs> go get a coach. If you're running a startup technology company, go find someone who's already had a startup technology company and just ask them to mentor you. Or create a board of directors and say, hey, would you, would you mind being on my board of directors? Man, there's so many. I live in a neighborhood with a lot of retired executives. And, man, they're bored out of their mind, and they tell me, like, look, I can't play golf all day. Walter, I'm miserable. I was like, dude, you need to be mentoring. He's like, yeah, you're right. You're right. If you go and find a retired executive, chances are they're freaking bored, and they would love to coach and mentor. They do it for free because it's not about money anymore, right? right? We all need support. We all need coaching. Here's my final point, though. A lot of people don't think about this. Tiger Woods was the greatest golfer in the world. And he began to struggle right after his father passed away. Right. And it caught my attention because I lost my dad. And I know my struggles when I lost my number one shark. Michael Jordan went to go play baseball right after his father passed away tragically. So these are the two most mentally tough, focused athletes we've ever seen. Michael Jordan walked away from basketball to mourn the loss of his shark. Right. And playing baseball, I would tell people there was something about baseball that Michael Jordan was trying to honor his father with baseball. And on the last dance, I don't know if you saw it. Oh, yeah. He said it. He's like, man, you know, my father loved baseball. He would always tell me that, you know, I should have played baseball. So I went to go play baseball to honor my father. And, man, Tiger Woods is still trying to get his legs up under him. Yeah. That's how powerful support is. That's how powerful and important it is for us to gain mentors. And for anyone who's struggling right now, that's the number one advice I give them. Like, look, go find you a mentor. If you, get, if you can't find a mentor, go, go hire a coach. But you got to get support. Right? And all mentorship is is free coaching. Well, let me ask you this because I see this a lot. And, you know, as I go out and, and speak as well, I – I tell people to ask the right questions to the right people. Why do you think, um, even the younger generation, why do you think it's difficult for them to get to that next step, to go and ask those questions, to go and get help? You know, that's a great question, Farrell. And, and, and we live in a different generation right now. And, and I think it's because of the cell phones, I think kids have really depended on YouTube. And, you know, there's some benefit to that. And they can just go Google it or YouTube it and, and don't have that steady mentor. They just have a bunch of random people mentoring them. And I think you always need to have your primary mentor. And you can have multiple mentors, but they should be mentoring you in a very specific area. And that relationship is important because they understand you. And so when you just go watch a YouTube video, you know, that person just putting out a generic message and it's supposed to be for everybody, but mentoring is more intimate. Right. You know, mentoring is more personal. My father always knew the right thing to say to me. And I'll give you an example. You know, as you know, Jerry, um, in Utah, we didn't scrimmage a lot in training camp. Yep. In fact, we almost never scrimmaged. We would play some two-on-two two and three-on-three, three, but I had never been in a training camp where we didn't play five-on-five. Five. And I would call my dad. And I would say, Dad, we don't scrimmage. And so since we don't scrimmage, I have no clue what I'm doing. And my father would just know the right thing to talk to. He would just know the right thing to say. And I was kind of freaking out. Um, I'll never forget me and Corey Crowder were kind of fighting for one spot. 
And the fact that we didn't scrimmage created real anxiety for me. Mm-hmm. And my father was, well, they must be measuring you guys somewhere else. And I said, well, we do a lot of shooting drills, and they chart them. And we do a lot of skeleton offense. And my father used to say, listen, son, just listen, follow directions, and execute. That's all you can. And he was like, yeah, they don't scrimmage. I was like, Dad, we play a little two-on-two, a little three-on-three with the young guys. But for the most part, in practice, we almost never play five-on-five. And that was different for me. But, you know, Jerry Sloan was different. And playing in Utah was a little unique. And it really blesses me to this day because now I understand the, the, the benefit of structure. Now I understand order. And now I'm talking to, you know, casinos and big franchises. And I'm like, look, what's your way? You know, what is your way? Jerry Sloan became one of the fourth winningest coaches in the history of the NBA because he had a way. And all he would do is plug players into his way. And so if you look at top companies like McDonald's, they have a way. Chick-fil-A has a way. You will never – Bill Belichick has a way, right? Nick Saban has a way. In order to be successful – you got to build a culture, and everyone needs to understand and fit into your culture, which is what I mean when I say the way. So my whole journey of basketball, my whole journey of struggling in high school and failing, honestly, it was really preparing me for my ultimate purpose, to be a business coach, to be a motivational speaker, to be an author, to help people transform from being average. And that's my mission, girl. I, I want to take that C student of life and basically say, you know what? I used to be a C student myself, but this is how I transformed and started getting straight A's. And, man, most organizations, they will tell you that 60% of their employees, 60% of their human capital operates in what we call the C student dynamic. And I tell all my clients, hey, man, what if we can get your C students to become just solid B minus? How much money would that or how much additional revenue would that trickle to your bottom line? If we can get get, get 60 percent, more than half of your company to perform at a slightly higher level. I was a, basically a poster child for that. The moment I got focused on basketball, I performed at a tremendously higher level. You know, once I got rid of all those other things I did, and my, I told my wife I was going to be a motivational speaker, instantly, Thurl, it's like my whole performance elevated instantly. So there's little tricks of the trade that we teach people that can take anybody and position them to reach their potential. That is so powerful, Walter. And um, I, I want to want to end this by just asking you what's up next i mean what do you've got what do you have going how can people reach out and find you there's a lot of people out there that are looking for that kind of knowledge and how can they find you well the easiest way is to go to our website which is just my name walterbond.com and just dive dive in i mean we've written books we got trainings we just created a teamwork methodology and and thorough if you saw it it's basketball. <laughs> and what I didn't realize is that the whole time we were playing basketball, we were, we were becoming experts in teamwork. And so when I left sports and got into business, everything was about leadership. And that confused me. Like, well, he's a leadership speaker. He's a, it's a leadership breakout. And leadership and leadership and leadership. And I'm like, what's going on with the teamwork? You know, in basketball, we knew each other's game. 
Yeah. Right? Well, this guy likes to shoot. Well, that guy likes to drive to the basket. Well, that dude loves to play defense. Man, he's a shot blocker. And that's how you develop chemistry. And that's how you develop trust. Same thing happens in business. So we created what we call work expressions to help business leaders understand the talent on their team, but most importantly, create a team that is balanced. you got to have innovators. You have to have initiators. you got to have an instigator. You have to have improvers. You have to have implementers. We show this to our corporate clients. It's a blueprint. That's your starting fire. Every department needs to be balanced. Your corporate team needs to be balanced. Your board needs to be balanced. Man, I walk away from meetings. Their mouth is wide open because I'm teaching them in a way that they never even heard before. And I'm telling you, it's all because of the purpose of why I'm on this earth. So for a long time, I thought I was put on this earth to go play sports. I wasn't. That was just the preparation, right? Mm-hmm. That, was the, that, that, that was the training camp that God took me through to really land me in my ultimate purpose. So the next level, honestly, with the Dale Carnegie's of the world and the John Maxwell's and the Stephen Covey's, that's the next level for me. I want to be able to create content, write more books, um, and leave a legacy that's going to live beyond my lifetime. Well, I know there's no stopping you, my man. But, Walter, thank you so much, man, for, for coming on the show. And um, this is, for me, you you just got me motivated, raring to get, get up out of here and, and go achieve some some great things in my community. And and I uh, appreciate you. And take care of yourself. Tell your wife hello. And, uh, and we'll talk soon, my friend. Awesome. Thank you, Thurl. Thank you, everybody, for joining me. And Walter Bond on this episode of Thorough Talk. Take care of yourselves. Stay safe. We'll talk to you next week. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.